0: Hoover, Sooner to you, and welcome to the Sooner Schooner Show. I'm Eric Jean from 97.1 The Sports Animal in Tulsa. Coming up this week, we're finally going to talk about the offensive line. I've been dreading this, mainly because I'm worried about how Bill Biedenboe is going to replace 162 career starts that are no longer at OU and how he's going to get them to play as a unit. And we'll discuss just how much do I believe in Bill Biedenboe. Give you a hint, it's a hell of a lot. Beaten Beat, beat Bo, I trust. Um, also, we'll talk about the combine. The three guys that got invited to the combine and the one guy that didn't, Drake Stoops. And shouldn't we be upset about the fact that uh, Drake Stoops did not get invited to the combine? Uh, the CFP Board of Managers is meeting to vote on whether or not they're going to do a 5 7 playoff format when the 12 team playoff starts next year. Also, ESPN putting up $1.3 billion. For the exclusive broadcast rights, we'll discuss whether or not that's actually a good thing. And I'm starting to have some second thoughts about how good the OU basketball job is overall. So we'll get to all that today. Do me a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Write a written review. Take a screenshot of both and send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com. Pete will send you back a Heartland College Sports koozie. And, of course, I'm asking you to follow along with this podcast, the Sooner Schooner Show, wherever You get your podcast. All right, so let's dive into this whole offensive line situation with OU because there's not a doubt that this is the biggest question the Sooners have going into this season because when you've got a quarterback in Jackson Arnold who's going to be a first-time starter this year, you're going to have to do everything you can to protect the money, especially now that you're going into the SEC. And this is the one place or the one area that Sooner fans are worried the most and as well they should be. However, it's not all bad news. Let's start with the good news concerning the OU offensive line, and that is this. There are three guys from the offensive line who got invited to the NFL Combine. Tyler Guyton, Andrew Rame, and Walter Rouse, all going to the NFL Combine this year. And for Guyton, this is huge huge for Guyton. Look, it's big for them all, but really huge for Guyton, because looked at the uh, NFL.com draft projections for the first three rounds, and they had Tyler Guyton going in the first round to the Houston Texans. That's big. Guy played right tackle last year, had to protect the blind side of Dylan Gabriel, who is a left-handed quarterback. He's he's certainly got the size. I mean, the guy is 6'7", 328 pounds, got a huge wingspan. I would think any NFL team that drafted him would look at him as a blind side type tackle. So whether he played right tackle last year, I think you could flip him to the left tackle this year and be just fine. And I'm sure Tyler Guyton's the type of guy that, look, you want to play that – I call it the blindside tackle, just based on the fact that you might have a left-handed tackle. But for the most part, it is left tackle. Everybody wants to play that. It's not just the glam position. It's the position that gets paid the most money in the NFL for a tackle. That being said, I don't see Guyton as a guy – who's going to be as set in his ways as Orlando Brown was, about, hey, I am a left tackle. I want to play left tackle, and I want to get paid left tackle money. And I'm sure that worked out fine for him going to the Cincinnati Bengals, but I wonder just how much Orlando Brown misses playing with the Kansas City Chiefs and winning Super Bowl rings like Creed Humphrey is right now. By the way, congratulations to him, Blake Bell, and the other Oklahoma Sooners who helped contribute to Kansas City's latest Super Bowl victory. So for Guyton, this this is huge. If you're a projected first-round pick, you need to go out and show like a first-round pick. And what I'll be interested in seeing with him, and with with him especially, since he is a projected first-round pick, does he lift? Does he run? Does he do everything that is there on the docket to do for the Combine? Or does he slack off a little bit? And when I say slack off, I, I don't mean like be lazy. I just mean not participate in certain things because he doesn't want to get hurt or doesn't want to show them something maybe he's not as confident in. And I don't think the latter is going to be the case. It would be more of a case of injury that you decided not to do that. But I would always suggest if you can do everything at the combine, do it. Same with with Raim and Rouse. Go out and do everything you can and then repeat all that at the upcoming pro day, which is right around the corner. I didn't see either Rouse or Rame. Picked in the first three rounds by NFL.com doesn't mean that they won't be drafted. Doesn't mean they won't even be picked in the first three rounds. It's just not where they're projected to go right now. And Guyton seems to be that guaranteed first-round pick because of his size, his arm length, the fact that he moves really well off off the ball, can take on can take on a you know take on a combination of guys that are that are coming at him. I see him. With the least amount of proof here for this, this is all about this is all about Raim, And this is all about uh, this is all about Reim. And this is all about Walter Rouse. They have to be the ones to go that can make the biggest leap by going and showing out. And as happy as I am for those guys and think it's a tremendous thing for Bill Biedenboe. As soon as that list came out, if you were Bill Biedenboe, you should have been on the phone. And I'm sure he was. To every single kid you were recruiting, texting, calling, it doesn't matter. Everybody you're looking at for the 2025 class needed to know that you just put three guys into the NFL combine. And your way to get to the NFL – the way to get to the NFL by playing offensive line is to go through OU because Bill Beatenbo is the best offensive line, line coach in the country. And if he's not, find me a better one. Find me a better one than him because the guy just tends to work magic and getting offensive lines to work together, which is probably why I'm not as worried as some people are concerning OU's offensive line this year. Now, if you were to just simply look at the fact that OU was losing 162 career starts, three guys are going to the NFL, you had guys leave by the NIL, you've had, uh, you've had transfers happen, and now you've got a whole bunch of underclassmen and you've got some transfer guys that Bidenbow has to get to work, has to get to work together as a unit. And he's only got the spring and fall camp to get that done. That's not a lot of time because most offensive lines, if they're gonna to work together as a unit, they've played together for a while. You're returning starters, they've already have that built-in chemistry. There's not a whole lot that they have to learn either terminology-wise, scheme-wise, whatever the situation is, it's just easier to, to, to plug and play that way versus getting transfer guys or having underclassmen do it. And it's one thing to be an underclassman because you've practiced, you've been around it, you're still in the program, you've seen it on film, but now you've got to do it in a game. And that becomes a whole different situation. And I start to look at what will probably happen here. One, Jacob Sexton probably starts at left tackle. 6'6", six, six, 320 pounds. That, that I, I think, a gimme. He's also a guy that's been in this program. Troy Everett, the transfer from App State. Uh, we've, I've seen him on the RLADS depth chart start at left guard. I've heard people talking about him starting at center. I would think it's more center than guard. And then you've got the brown kid out of Michigan State who transferred in. You've got uh, the kid from USC and Florida, who's transferred in. And then you got the other guy from Washington, who all may play a role in, in all this. And the kid from Washington is the one, of all of them, he's the one that kind of excites me the most. Gary Hatchett is his name. And I think like, the reason he excites me the most, and look, I know that on offensive line, you're supposed to get excited about tackles, all right? Guards, centers, those kind of guys don't really excite you, but I do want a guy that's versatile. And the read on him is that he can play all five positions. So if he can play all five positions, then you've got a guy that'll be easier to move around throughout the year. He doesn't have to get stuck in one place. And if it looks like you're in a situation like Arkansas was last year where the offensive line was hot garbage and you had to move some guys around and that failed you, this kid, um, th- this kid, this Gary and Hatchett guy, might be somebody who you could move without him going into to any sort of shock over the situation. He might be able to move very fluidly throughout the offensive line. But through spring and through fall, Bill Beedmo's biggest, biggest challenge is to get them all on the same page. And I don't expect this offensive line to be great this year at all. From Game 1 through 12, I don't expect them to be great. But I would be darn surprised if – by mid these guys weren't pretty darn good as a unit, okay? And it's just going to take time. It's going to take reps. The thing that sucks about college football as compared to trying to do this in the NFL is that you only get these guys so many hours a week. You only get to work with them so many hours a week, and then you rely on film study. And then, of course, they've got to fit school in, so you don't get the chance to work with them as much as you would in an NFL situation, but... You're going to work with them enough, and with the way that he has developed and cranked out guys that have ended up in the NFL, you've got to feel very confident that he'll figure out a way to get this hodgepodge, you know, ragtag group, whatever you want to call it, piecemeal, ad hoc, I don't, I don't know what the right word is, but you have to feel confident that he will be able to get them to work as a unit and that these guys will be able to protect Jackson Arnold, and they will be able to open up holes for the run game. It's just a matter of working with him and repetition, and if it looks a little ugly to begin with, that is to be expected. I wouldn't lose your mind too much if in the first few games of the season you start to worry that, hey, when OU gets into SEC play – Maybe these guys aren't going to hold up. I'd say give Bill Bedenboe Bill till about midseason before you judge how good or bad this offensive line is. Or actually how bad this offensive line is, because who knows? Maybe they start out red hot and, and they look pretty good. But I would say about midseason, that's when we'll know just where this offensive line is. But I'm all right with it. I, I, I don't like the situation. It's not a situation I think anyone can say that they like. But when you have a coach you trust and a guy that's widely considered to be the best at his job or one of the best in the country at his job, you have to feel like you're going to have a lot more success. Now, we mentioned the Combine earlier, and I told you that Drake Stoops did not get invited to the Combine. Not a big shock for me uh, at all. One, because he wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl. If you get invited to the Senior Bowl, I wouldn't say it's necessarily automatic, but you get invited to the Senior Bowl that would have been a really good indication that he's going to the Combine. Because he did not get invited to the Senior Bowl and he's playing in the East-West Shrine game, I kind of had the feeling that he probably wasn't going to get invited to the Combine. But again, it's one of those things that if you're mad about it and you feel insulted because you like Drake Stoops and he's a hard worker and he's that type of kid that just makes the tough catches, does all the dirty work, whatever, I I would say to you this. He's got pro day. He's got individual workouts. There's going to be times and places for him to get in front of NFL scouts. And one thing that Drake Stoops has going for him is he's the type of guy that will probably do anything you ask him to do on the field. So playing special teams wouldn't be a big deal to him. He'd probably be more than glad to play special teams to get a shot at the NFL. Being on the practice squad, I know it's not ideal and it's a week-to-week contract, but When you're on the practice squad, all it takes is somebody getting hurt. Are you doing a good enough job that another team comes along and decides to sign you and elevate you to the 53-man roster? I don't know where he necessarily fits in in the 53-man roster. To me, he's a little undersized. Um, Great hands, tough, got good speed, and he's a guy that's got a knack for making big plays when they count. But can he hold up in the NFL? That's my only question is, can he hold up in the NFL? If I were a GM, I would have no issue bringing him into camp. I would certainly bring him into camp. Would I draft him? In a late round, yes. Uh, We're talking about a fifth, sixth, seventh round situation where maybe somebody I wanted was off the board. And if I liked him and had him on there and saw it as a low-risk, high-reward situation, yeah, I'd probably draft him. Fifth, sixth, seventh round, somewhere in that. And fifth's probably going high. You're you're talking maybe sixth and seventh round. And I'm not saying that to put him down, but I do get the feeling that he's probably going to be an, an undrafted free agent. And that's how he works his way into camp. If this guy actually isn't on a practice squad at bare minimum, that would shock me. Because he's just too good good of a player not to get a shot to play somewhere in the NFL. But I would not be all that upset over it. I wouldn't feel too insulted if you're an OU fan. Because he's going to have opportunities. And if you go and you show out at Pro Day versus the Combine, and you're able to maybe outshine some guys that were in the Combine, in the Combine that these scouts liked, then you've got an opportunity to maybe move yourself up into the draft or replace somebody that they were thinking about signing as a free agent. But I like Drake Stoops. I like him a lot. And when he didn't get invited to the Senior Bowl, to me, that pretty much told me that that he was not going to get invited to the Combine. But I don't see see it as an all-is-lost situation. Kind of like OU basketball, Um, which I'll admit today, man, I screwed up. Screwed up on the air big time. Porter Moser's name's been linked to the DePaul job. And my thought, and I said this on the air, hey, if I'm Porter Moser and my name's linked to the DePaul job and they're willing to offer me, I'm on the first thing smoking out to Chicago. And it gave some pretty good reasons. One, you're in DePaul, you're you're at DePaul, you're the big man on campus. Okay? OU fans don't care about basketball as much as DePaul fans. You got to By the way, DePaul pl- DePaul plays in a 10,000 seat arena and they're updating their facilities. Uh, is that 10,000-seat arena better than Lloyd Noble? Yeah, it is. It is. It's a newer arena that's a multipurpose arena. It's not on their campus. I don't think you really have anything on their campus because it's in the city of Chicago. But they are upgrading their workout facilities, which aren't anything close as to what OU has in Blake Griffin Center. And to me, if the money were the same, and I can be in a metro area like Chicago, this is what I was saying on the air, then I don't really have to have a recruiting budget. I can just go recruit kids in the metro area, and I ought to be pretty good. Plus, with the transfer portal, if I don't like them, I can get rid of them, bring another five in later. And what I didn't know is, for OU at the time, is moving to the SEC, Does that damage OU's? does that damage the OU job as a basketball job? Because the Big 12 is widely considered to be the best conference in America, And right now, the projections in the bracketology have the Big 12 getting nine teams in, including OU. But guess what? So do the Southeastern Conference. And I did not give the SEC enough credit today. I mean, first and foremost, I don't follow college basketball as much as I should, or I don't have a passion for it the way that I used to. The NBA has replaced that passion because it's just a better overall product. College basketball is hard to watch. And I know OU was sold out a few games this year. I do know with the Texas Tech game that there was a good crowd at the LNC. However, I mean, let's be honest: a lot of those were were, were Texas Tech fans. They were they were able to make the trip and they were loud. One of the reasons I thought about leaving OU is one: I thought maybe the SEC was a detriment. It turns out that the SEC is not really a detriment to me. It's it's sort of six of one half dozen of the other. Maybe the SEC isn't as good as the, the Big 12, but it ain't that far behind the Big 12 because you've got a lot of athletic basketball teams. And if you're going to get nine in this year, what that does for a coach like Porter Moser or anybody else with the OU job, it means that if you finish in the top five, or I guess in this case in the top nine, you're going to get more consideration than just about anyone else. The Big East where DePaul is is only projected to get about four in. And DePaul's certainly had their moments. My big question about the OU basketball program, and it's still a big one to me today. One, what are you going to do about the arena? Because the Lloyd Noble looks awful. And it did embarrass me today when I looked at this arena that Nepal is playing in and it's a few years old. I'm like, man, that looks better than OU. That's a 10,000-seat arena. It's a multi-purpose arena. They use it for other things. It's like, man, that's just its kind of embarrassing. It's better looking than the one at OU. You've got to figure out what to do. And I do not think an off-campus arena... And the north part of Norman is the answer. I don't believe that that is going to draw any more people from Edmond than what already come to OU basketball games. I believe that you've got to start with the students. You've got to build them, turn them into OU basketball fans, and if they stick around here after school, then they're the ones that come back and go to OU basketball games, which tells me McCaslin Fieldhouse is probably the best place to play. But from everything that I understand, it's just really not up to par. So you're in this bit of a quandary where you're you're going from one you're going from a great conference to a very good conference or a really good conference however you want you're going to get the benefit of the doubt you're probably going to make about you know you can make about two million dollars in this the, as the OU men's basketball coach and that probably goes up with the with the SEC television contract so it's not a bad job the question I you know and the question I have is. You brought some money into the school, not anywhere close to what football, but you were about even with softball. So where does that leave men's basketball? What is the passion meter for it? If you're a coach in a place like New Mexico, is OU attractive? At one point, it was. It was a better program than New Mexico. But New Mexico's got a $60 million arena, seats 16000 in it. They'll show up if you're winning and pack that place out. It doesn't matter if you're competing for final fours because hell they've never been to a sweet 16 so it just comes down to what you want as a college basketball coach you know you will offer you stability it'll offer you a decent living they may never update or figure out the arena situation and you're not consistently going to get sellout crowds but for the most part you should be able to get good athletes and you should be able to win so that makes it what i would call about a b plus program At one point, I thought it was kind of undervalued. Now I'm kind of looking at it going, man, if I'm at Wichita State, do I take the OU job? At least Wichita State, I'm the the BMOC. But still, yeah, moving to the SEC, and if I can finish mid-pack SEC, that gets me to the NCAA tournament, and that's all anyone really ever wants. All right, College Football Playoff Board of Managers, they're expected to vote on February 20th on whether or not they're going to go to a 5-7 model for the playoff format. This means... Five highest-ranked conference champions, seven-at-large team. One of the reasons OU moved to the, the SEC was because it looked like it was going to be this format. The problem I have with this format is because you don't have a power five anymore. You only have a power four. All right? I guess, theoretically, you've got a power five because... The Pac-12 still technically exists with the two teams, Washington State and Oregon State, but you don't really have a power five. It is a power four. This leaves the door open for a group of five school to get in over somebody like Oklahoma, which would have happened this past year because Stupid Liberty was the highest ranked non-power five conference champion. They were one of the highest ranked conference champions. They would have got in over OU. Do they deserve to be there over OU? Hell no. They're Liberty. Garbage school and a garbage conference. They don't deserve to be there at all. And that is one thing that the meeting of the SEC and the Big Ten needs to get accomplished is that I'm sorry, if, and if this sounds cold and heartless, I don't care because it's the truth. And the truth that I care about is the truth that benefits OU more than any other school. You've got to ice out the group of five. You have to. You have to have what you need is four plus eight. That needs to be the model. Four highest ranked conference champions within the power four, eight at large. If there's a group of five that's deserving, great. If not, oh, well. No big deal. Because the last thing I want to see is OU get ousted because of Liberty. Now we can always say, hey, if that's going to happen, OU play better. And I would think being in the SEC, if you finish ten and two, you're probably getting into the college football playoff. And while there's no guarantee that OU's going to get in there next year, if they have the same record next year as they did this year, yeah, they're getting in. Being in that SEC helps, but just in case they are on the bubble, and you start looking at the five highest-ranked conference champions, and you've got the Power Four, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody like uh, Wyoming is rated 25th okay they're a conference champion and OU is not and OU is ranked 12 then I guess Wyoming jumps up and takes that spot I don't I don't like it and I know why they're doing this because they want to keep the group of five engaged because they want the group of five on the power five wants group of five schools on their schedule so the SEC can have sandwich games And so you can get some wins early in the season. But to actually help out the group of five, that's certainly not what the Power Four is interested in. It's theoretically with that Pac-12 thing, if Oregon State was rated higher than a Liberty, then yeah, Liberty's probably out. And they don't have any complaints about that at all. It just... You think you've opened your door to a can of worms. And while Cinderella is great, I'm not sure it's really good for ratings in the $1.3 billion that ESPN just got to broadcast this. Because while Cinderella is great, if let's say Liberty were to knock off Ole Miss, well, no one in the next week really wants to see Liberty play Alabama. They want to see Alabama play Ole Miss again. What people want, and they prove it time and time again, is they want the big-name schools to play each other when things really count. Cinderella's great for the first two days of the NCAA tournament. Not so much for the finals. That wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week as uh, we'll talk about more of the bigger topics surrounding college football and surrounding OU. We thank you very much for listening. May God bless you and your family. As the great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. Or everybody love everybody. And to quote Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Don Cornelius, love, peace, and soul.